Hey, Derek, how are the dominoes? Oh, wow. That's about a repeated <laughs> reference. Nobody's getting that reference. <laughs> This is the AT Banter Podcast, a balanced and entertaining look at assistive technology, accessibility, and its importance in people's lives. Join Rob Minot, Ryan Fleury, and Steve Barclay as they banter with people around the world about anything and everything regarding assistive technology and the disability community. Now, on with the show. Hey, and welcome to another episode of AT Banter. Banter, banter. Ah, good. I, I like to see the return of the banter. <laughs> uh, my name is Rob Minot. Joining me today, Mr. Ryan Flurry. Hello. And uh, just, again, just the two of us. Yep. And man, Steve's busy this, these days. Uh, yeah. Oh, Steve Barkley again today. He is, where the hell is he? He's in Kelowna? He's in Kelowna. In Kelowna today. Yep. Oh, beautiful day to be in Kelowna. Yeah, I think it's supposed to be like 26 here, so it'll probably be close to 30 there. Yeah, poor guy. Yep. But no, he's working hard. What is he, at an RV park? Yeah, my wife's uncle uh, lives in an RV resort, and so I arranged for Steve to go up there and show some low vision products to the aging population living in their RVs. And they love their RVs, I have to say. Well, there's some pretty nice RVs out there, let me tell you. I know, and that might be showing, I might be showing my age because now I'm starting to look at RVs and go, hmm, <laughs> that look pretty comfortable. Oh, some of them are incredible. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it literally is like a mobile house. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, bedrooms, kitchens, dining rooms, bedrooms. Yeah, some of them are incredible. See now, if you get, can you get Wi-Fi on there though? Can you? Yep. Can you set up? Really? Yep. Yeah, this park has Wi-Fi. It's got swimming pools, hot tubs. Okay, dog well then parks. I'm in. I'm yeah. in. Yeah, Wi-Fi. You can get your cable in there. So you got your TV if you want your TV. I might look into that. I might just live in an RV. I wonder if I could. Maybe I can phone into the show from the RV. Sure, as long as you got Wi-Fi. Yeah, that's tempting. That's mm -hmm. tempting. That sounds like the life. I'm telling you. Yep. Each city living. Oh, absolutely. A lot quieter too. Yeah. Yep. Uh, where were where were we? Uh, hey, what's uh, what's been going on? How are you doing? I'm doing all right. Not much Last is new. Last week of August. This is it. It we're is. Done. Summer's done. And it's back to school for everybody. Ha ha. <laughs> Uh, which is good for us because that means uh, it's our busy season. September is usually pretty busy for us here at Canadian Assistive Technology. Yes, we are looking forward to the fall. Business picking up, school back in. It's going to be a good time for all. Yeah, I'm really surprised that weather-wise that we did not get hit by a heat wave this summer at all. I think we had one week that was kind of hot. Yeah. Uh, but boy, here in Vancouver, we had a great summer. Nice yeah. and cool, for the most warm, part. Warm but cool. You know, it wasn't wasn't uncomfortably. Never got uncomfortably hot. So, although maybe I shouldn't speak too soon because then maybe we might just have a sweltering September. No, I hope not. But I doubt it. I I, I doubt it. That's that's pretty rare. So, well, typically the last two weeks of August are our P and E, the Pacific National Exhibition, and yep. typically you know it's a sign of fall because it usually rains, 
And I think there's only been one or two days it's rained, so it's hard to tell what September's going to bring. It could be yeah, really sure. nice, or it could be soggy wet. Yep. Hey, are you speaking of the PE? Are you going to the PE this year? Are you going to any of the shows? No, my wife went last weekend, or my wife went on Saturday this past weekend, but I didn't. I don't go anymore. No. No. No, not even. I don't even know who. I don't think there's anybody really playing this year that that really struck. Maybe the beach. I think the Beach Boys are playing, right? Uh, the Beach Boys are there. Sticks is there. Colin James, Collective Soul, Gin Blossoms, uh, Burton Cummings. Um, there's a few. Uh, Billy, yeah, I saw, Billy Idol. I saw Hugh, oh, sorry. Billy Idol. Billy Idol. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. yeah, there's a few. I could have got, I don't know, I could have gotten into the Beach Boys. I was like, God, they got to be, are they 100? Like, how old are the Beach Boys? <laughs> like, they got, they, they, not quite 100. I believe they're still touring. That can't be the, that can't be the original, all the originals. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like you did one guy in a walker and then the rest of it's all 30 year olds. <laughs> Right. Could I be. I don't know. Listen, my apologies to any Beach Boys fans out there. I, I love the Beach Boys. I'm just saying. I'm just looking at this realistically. They can't. They. They. It can't be a long show. Uh, I don't know, but I bet you they're having fun, fun, fun. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> There's going to be a lot of breaks in there. Maybe. All I'm saying, I can't even do the podcast without like having a pee break. So yeah, but they're probably in much better shape than we are. No, that's true. That's. That's probably true. All this touring. Heck, we can't even walk up a hill three blocks. <laughs> That's true. I know. I'm shooting a video with Steve on the Sunu band. We got to go outside and walk around and stuff. Outside? Yeah, I know. What's it's outside? Um, hey, Ryan. Yes, sir. Uh, what, are we, what are we doing today? Today, we are talking with Chief Experience Officer Derek Featherstone from Level Access. I love it. Accessibility guru. Yeah, I love his title, Chief Experience Officer. Yeah, me too. Yeah, very interesting guy. Uh, came recommended to us from uh, Kelly Godo, right? She, he did indeed, yeah, which we had on our show a few months That's back. So check that out. That's right. Yeah, high praise indeed. Yep. But uh, yeah, and uh, his company level access there, they are doing some pretty great work in the digital space in terms of. Uh, accessibility and teaching companies how to make their offerings accessible. So very important work there. So this will be an interesting conversation, but I, I suspect that uh, it'll be a long one. Uh, well, hey, so listen, do you have any? Do you have any news at all? I got nothing. All right. Well, you know what? Then let's. I I say we just dive right in and and uh, and get Derek on the line and let's just get this puppy going. So now we'd like to welcome to the show, Derek Featherstone, Chief Experience Officer from Level Access. Well, listen, we want to really thank you for uh, taking the time out to talk to us today. Um, you know, you seem to be, you know, the guy to talk to when it comes to accessibility, and we love talking about accessibility. Um, so why don't we just uh, dive right into it and uh, maybe just give us a little bit of background because I'm fascinated on how you sort of landed in the accessibility field in the first place. Sure, happy to, and and honestly, thanks for having me on here. This is uh, this is a real treat for me, so I'm I'm happy, very happy to be here and and share a few things. I have a long uh, long history in the industry. I actually came to accessibility uh, because I got involved in web design and web development in the mid 1990s. Uh, I used to be a high school teacher, and I was building 
building websites and web-based resources for, for my students. And so I kind of got into, got into the web that way. And ultimately what I saw very early on, this is the, the very short version, but I was very into multiple intelligence theory and that kind of thing, trying to figure out how to make the message that I was trying to teach in my classes resonate with people of all different learning styles and, and, and that kind of thing. So I was, you know, teaching, teaching science, biology, chemistry, computers, very uh, logico mathematico type, um, type subjects. And I was trying to find ways to help those kinds of subjects resonate and be meaningful for students that weren't always into the sciences. They were, you know, more into the arts and that sort of thing. So I was always trying to find ways of making sure that the, the message that I was hoping to deliver got across to everyone. And so when I started doing things on the web and started researching why some of the things I was building, you know, weren't working in, in one browser, but were just fine in another browser. Uh, and then I kind of came across the whole idea of web standards and then, then accessibility kind of coming with that. It really kind of caught me. And, and really that resonated for me because it was really about making sure that the things that I was trying to create were, uh, you know, available, you know, firstly available to as many people as possible, but then also uh, accessible to people with all different kinds of abilities. So, so I kind of, I left teaching in 1999 and started my own, uh, started my own company doing web design and, and development and still teaching people about web design and development. And part of that was, was accessibility that went with that. So that's kind of the, the history of how I got into it. Um, there's, there's a whole bunch of other pieces, I think, in my life that kind of pointed me in that direction or, or made it seem like really obvious. The first being the teaching and, and the message being for everybody. But then more, you know, more, a little bit more pointedly, I had, um, you know, my, my grandfather had a stroke in the mid 1980s and I lived with my grandparents for a while in the summers to, to work in the city and that sort of thing. And I saw firsthand a lot of the, the barriers that he faced, uh, what it was like after his, his stroke, his, uh, he never got back the use of his left hand. So I saw him kind of go through life as a, as a single handed, uh, person. And he didn't get full mobility back in his, in his left leg either. So I saw, you know, he walked with a cane, uh, stairs were, were quite a challenge. And so I, I think I was just, you know, more aware, uh, more aware of things going on there. I had, I was, I was born with a club foot, which, you know, that hasn't really resulted in any, I haven't really been discriminated against or excluded from anything, at least not yet. Uh, but, but, you know, I had that as part of my, my background as well, that made me kind of uh, feel, you know, a certain, a certain amount of sting uh, when I, when I found other, uh, other accessibility issues in in physical spaces and that sort of thing. So, I think we take all of that, that together. Um, there's there's been a lot. That's kind of the the long ago past, and I still, you know, have lots of things every day in my life that that show up as accessibility related issues, either for for myself or family members or 
or whatever. So that's kind of how I, I made my, my way into this field. And I've been doing this for close to, well, I guess 99 is when I, when I left teaching and started out on my own. So it's been, been 20 years now. Yeah. You know, and we're always fascinated to talk to people who have been in the field uh, that long. Uh, I mean, I'm not too far behind you. I think I, I started around 2002 and I think, I think Ryan, you're, you're around the same time, maybe 2001, right? Yeah. I got my first uh, AT equipment in 97, lost my site in 95 and then started in the industry in 2000. Right. So, I mean, it, you know, it, and it's interesting because it, it was very much a different conversation back what was the i guess the conversation wasn't different but it was certainly a different environment um especially when you're talking about web and you're talking about digital accessibility it it was it's was nowhere near what it is now so i'm always curious to ask the question uh to people like you who have been in the industry for this long what what's sort of the the biggest differences of, about how, how the accessibility fight was then and how is it now? Has it gotten better? Is it just different? What's been your experience? Well, that's a, that's a great one. Um, wow. Where do I start with that one? <laughs> I, I think, I think one of the, one of the things that I've seen over the last 20 years is that the industry has, has evolved uh, to the point where, I think people used to just, and I'm, I'm kind of paraphrasing or maybe not even paraphrasing and, you know, possibly putting words in people's mouths. So I'm not thinking of that quotes of something that somebody specifically said, uh, but more thinking along the lines of trends. Uh, and I think back in the beginning, people were just, just happy to have access. Like there was, there were fundamental things that were blocking things uh, like, you know, we we just people didn't use semantic markup, or they they didn't build web things well, and they had no idea about accessibility, uh, what it what it even was. And I think you know we've kind of we've moved on to a certain extent from that, uh, although you know things are are definitely not perfect. I, I feel like things are a bit more complex now. Um, and, and I think the, the complexity comes from the complexity of the systems, uh, the, you know, the systems that we have created. Um, I think the, the things that the web is doing now are m much more sophisticated than, than when we were kind of first thinking about accessibility back then. So the, a mindset of just meeting a checklist of of things that we need to do to make something accessible was a little bit more reasonable back then yeah. uh, but but the way that things have evolved in in the industry we're not just focused on you know uh, compliance anymore like compliance is like and I, I talk often with clients about this like compliance is now kind of like table stakes right like that's the minimum that's expected, right? But it's it's the starting point, not the end point. Uh, and and back in the day, you know, ninety nine, two thousand, we would have just been we would have been ecstatic with something that even met like a minimum level of compliance. <laughs> yeah, that's right. right. Like like that like <laughs> people ask me all the time about things like 
headings on a, on a web page. And then I'll say, look, the, you know, the headings are out of order. And I'm like, and I, I keep thinking back in my head, like the headings are out of order. And, you know, 18 years ago, we would have been just ecstatic that there's any headings at all. Right. Yeah. right? And, and now we're getting into much more nuanced discussion about, Hey, what's, how does this work in this scenario and in this scenario? And I think part of it is we have a much better um, understanding of, of user experience and customer experience and, and things that are a bit more, uh, a bit more holistic that can't be represented with a simple, uh, with a simple checklist type format. So that's, right. I think that's probably the biggest thing that I, that I notice. Um, and maybe it was like that back then, but I wasn't looking for it. And so I didn't notice it. Right. Uh, but it, it certainly feels different now than it did back then. Well, yeah. I, I think that, I think that one of the things that, that we've noticed um, is that, Slowly but surely, um, this idea of inclusive design um, has built a lot more traction recently. I feel like, you know, uh, accessibility was very much back then, it was very much seen as an add-on. Uh, it was something that you would tack onto something in order to make that thing uh, accessible. And the idea of building accessibility right from the design stage it didn't wasn't it wasn't really there at least to, to our experience. Um, is is that kind of what you found as well? Yeah, I think in a lot of ways it was it was exactly like that. And I know in so I I started out certainly more on the development side of things than on the design side of things. But I I remember having uh, you know d doing conference talks and teaching teaching accessibility courses in 2004, 2005, 2006. And almost everybody was focused on the code side of things. And I was very much like, we need, we need to do this earlier because we're getting really good technical execution of really inaccessible designs. And, and so having perfect technical execution of something that is fundamentally not designed to be accessible really has has kind of an impact so i i kind of started talking about uh the design side of things a little bit more and I'm, i don't just mean visual design either i'm talking about like systems design and how do we design interactions you know would and and that sort of thing so i i would agree with you completely i, I think the uh you know that mindset has has definitely definitely changed over time um and and more and more, I think that's part of the reason that we're seeing discussions, more and more discussions about inclusive design rather yeah. than just accessibility. Yeah, yeah, and you know, and it's been a you know, it's been a long hard fight for that. But I, I and I also see recently um, the other big change is um, more and more companies uh, are really beginning to latch on to the the business case. Um, for accessibility and for you know inclusive hiring practices, that's becoming more and more and more of a of, of a conversation that's happening, um, you know, in the corporate world than it ever has before either. Yeah, it's um, I, there. I think a lot of it, the words that I hear spoken about it are are like um, corporate social responsibility. 
right? Things like that, where we're taking a lot more of this stuff into account and, and large organizations, even small organizations are, are putting themselves out there and saying that we are going to have a diversity, equality and inclusion um, initiative or something like that. And, and then they, I think they realize very quickly, like diversity, equality, and inclusion are not things that can be captured in an initiative. That's not a one-time thing. It has to be an ongoing thing. And so then it starts to, you know, define and, and change the culture of an organization. And so I think a lot of it taps into that, that concept of, of, uh, of diversity, equality, and inclusion and, and makes it a much more holistic thing than, than a, we need to make our stuff accessible kind of thing that people think they can just do once and then they're finished. Yeah. I mean, so I guess, you you know, in, with my rose colored glasses on, I, you know, I really do feel like we, we are really starting to to make some traction on a, a few different issues that sort of when you combine them all, I think really can really drive um, the accessibility forward. Um, certainly more so than than even ten years ago, I would say. Yeah, I, I agree completely. It's there's a lot of there's a lot of great efforts out there, and and I don't know. There's there's this weird thing that happens, I think, in in the accessibility industry, at least on the on the web side of things. Um, it it seems like over the last twenty years, every X number of years, and I, I don't know what the value of X is, but it feels like every X number of years, there's this resurgence where people kind of start buying into accessibility a lot more than they than they used to, or or they've always believed in it, but they haven't necessarily acted on it. And so there seems to be a lot more action, and I, I feel like it's just going to keep kind of going in these waves. And and each time a resurgence comes along, I think we make maybe more progress. And then, you know, yes, it falls back into the, into the background and then it, it, it becomes a thing again. And so I I think that maybe it's just like a cyclical thing that happens naturally with, with something like this. Right. But, but yeah, I, I I think it, it keeps, it keeps happening and, and people seem to be, um, you know, very much all in and we see more resources, more things being created out there all the time where people are paying, definitely paying much more attention to it. Yeah. And I guess the thing that you, you need to sort of keep in mind too, is that, you know, before we, we rest too, you know, too much on our laurels, uh, you know, the fact that, you know, how long have, have, um, you know, say computers in the, in the PC environment been ubiquitous in homes or, you know, we're talking over 25 years and really just now um, we're getting an, a built-in uh, screen reader, you know, in the form of narrator uh, that, that works pretty, pretty good, but it's taken a long time to get there. Yeah, that's, you know, and I'm, I'll, I'll have to say this too. I am, I don't think I, I don't think I can say I'm an Apple fanboy, but I've, been using Apple products for a long time. And I think Apple, uh, they drew a line in the sand by including voiceover in, in the OS for, you know, for nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I think that's done wonderful things and put lots of really positive pressure on, 
on Microsoft to kind of step up and say, we need to make Narrator a first class, yeah, uh, you know, first class product. Uh, you know, relying on 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 Jaws uh, or Window Eyes in days gone by, or or even NVDA on the Windows platform for you know for X number of years. I think the the fact that Narrator has made such kind of like landmark improvements in terms of of its quality. I think that makes a huge, huge difference because uh, that opens a lot of doors. Well, and I think yeah. as well, you know, that that probably wouldn't have happened under, you know, Bill Gates. Um, you know, Satya Nadella seems to have this this change in mentality um, who, you know, also has a son with a disability. So, yeah. you know, that whole, that whole mentality in that company seems to have changed and the push in accessibility has been a huge momentous occasion for all of us using windows oh it's it it's a it, i can't even i i have many friends that work at microsoft and i'm astounded with the stuff that continues to come out of microsoft like people people often ask me because i i speak at a lot of conferences and i teach a lot of classes um you know workshops full day workshops and that sort of thing and people will always ask me for examples of who's doing it well and it's you know in the past it's been tough yeah. to to give really good examples but i almost always point at microsoft right now because of the work that they're doing have, have you guys seen the uh the uh the xbox adaptive controller we we've talked about it a lot but no i've actually haven't got my hands on one uh well i haven't i haven't experienced one live but every single thing i've seen has me in awe mm -hmm. of of the of what went into that process from from you know how they included people with disabilities yep. uh, in the process of designing it right through to their their execution and I, I point to this all the time because people ask me about about it and if you think of this you know this piece of of hardware I mean it's it's incredible what they did and I, I I read an article once they talked about the packaging. I actually talk about the packaging yes. of the of it just as much as I talk about the controller itself. And I, I remember reading an article that was amazing. And I, I remember they basically said one of our goals in creating the packaging for the Xbox adaptive controller or the Zach, one of our goals is to have a teeth free opening experience. <laughs> and I'm like, and they and they figured that out by doing the research that people with all kinds of mobility and dexterity, different types of disabilities, use their teeth to open packaging. And then you know, yeah. of course that that's a, that's a thing that we many of us, most of us, I don't know, all of us experience at some point is mm -hmm. using our teeth to get some stupid piece yep. of packaging opened. Like this is the worst packaging ever. And they they went off and they solved that problem and i don't know how universally they solved it mm -hmm. um, but wow I, i'm like amazed at the work that that microsoft is doing the fact that they even talk about a teeth-free opening experience is like yeah that, that's magic because it's completely relatable to to everybody not just a thing that is like oh this is a thing that would only impact people with disabilities that's a thing that would impact everybody and so it's got this really broad uh application that i think a lot of people can understand yeah and you know and it also shows that you know this this thought process at every single um level of of the design you know from the design of the actual controller to 
the person opening the box. And that's rare. I mean, you know, we, we've, we've been in the, you know, the assistive technology retail space for, for, you know, again, you know, close to 20 years. And I don't know how many times we we've, you know, had products that are specifically for say the blind that don't include braille instructions or there's no sort of braille manual for it or you know there's no labels there's no braille labels say on the cds that tells them the difference between the software cd and the instructional cd right you know, there are things that where where that accessibility kind of falls down because they're not really immersed in that uh, accessibility mindset so when somebody like microsoft does that and goes that extra mile it is a really big deal that's awesome. Uh, it, it's, it speaks so much to the, the need to understand kind of the entire customer journey. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, that's what I love when I think about complexity and the sophistication of, of interactions. That's kind of what I think about is, is the understanding that, that it's not just about the thing itself. It's about how people interact with it. What other things do they need to do? Right. Uh, like it, it, it's the entire ecosystem of interactions altogether. Right. Yep. And I love, I love that side of it because that's what reminds us. I think anyway, that's what reminds us that there's actual people that we're, you know, trying to do this with, you know, it's, it's not just about technical, did we make it technically correct, but do we actually, do we actually care and understand about the people on the other side of these interactions? That's right. You know, and, and to go back to Apple, I mean, you know, uh, you know, as a consumer, you know, I've, I've certainly had a, had an on again, off again, love, hate relationship with Apple, um, as a consumer, but, um, boy, you know, I think when the, you know, when the smoke clears, um, Apple will really be looked back at as, the company that really drove accessibility forward, because if it wasn't for Apple, um, we just would not be, have the level of, of digital accessibility um, baked into a lot of these devices that we do now. And you know, I don't think we would see Narrator as part of the Windows environment. Mm. Um, they they were really you know sort of the 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 touchstone that that started the race and. That's that's the great thing about where where things are at now is that we have we have Apple and we have Microsoft and we have Google and it's a it's a little bit of an accessibility arms race and that's great that you know that's there's nothing better than that because that's what drives innovation forward. Competition yeah. is a good thing, yeah. Yes, absolutely. No, we just yeah, like we're yeah, we're getting into politics now, but but man, like. Monopolies can't really be good for for almost anybody except for the people at the top of that monopoly. Exactly, and that's you know that's exactly what we we saw in the you know in the nineties. Yeah. Um, you know, Microsoft had the monopoly, and accessibility was in the toilet in terms of a Windows environment. Let's be honest. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. This is I, I love talking about this kind of stuff. Well, what uh, what what else do you want to talk about? I've got so well, many things, and I want to find out more about what what you guys are doing too. Well, I wanted to touch base a little bit and ask you if you've been following the Accessible Canada Act process at all. I have, I have. I'm, 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 I'm digging it. I like it. <laughs> you know, it's it's uh, one of the things 
you said, and I've, I've been kind of reading, you know, reading, I, I have not been, uh, you know, a good Canadian and, and been part of the process and I haven't really participated in it, but I'm kind of really, really interested in, in seeing, uh, you know, seeing where things go. I think the, one of the most, it, this is a subtle thing, but I really liked the change. I've, I've been following along with this, this phrase for quite some time. That's like from the early nineties, the nothing about us without us and, mm. and seeing, um, uh, seeing Minister Qualtro say that that she basically just dropped the about us so that it just says nothing without us um, was I, I thought that was like subtle but pretty powerful um, and and I loved I, I loved the fact that there was a lot of or what seemed to be a lot of public consultation on this uh, with with lots of different forms right. of of getting feedback and and that sort of thing, um, so that that for me is like all been a really uh, a really positive thing because it speaks more to uh, speaks more to an inclusive design kind of process rather than just you know w the the thing that we see in the web a lot and I'm gonna I'm gonna connect all of this to the to the Accessible Canada Act here in a minute the thing that we see on the web a lot where where people are you know, really well-meaning people are uh, designing and building something and then doing usability studies with people with disabilities. Uh, that's, I mean, that's fantastic that that even happens. Yep. But what we're doing when we do that is we are saying your, you know, for, for people with disabilities, your value to us is that you evaluate the thing and tell us whether we did it right or wrong. Um, Whereas if we involve people with disabilities at the beginning of a new web project or a new app project or a new whatever project, uh, we're, we're talking with people with disabilities and we even ask things like, what, what, kinds, of, what kinds of things are you already doing to, uh, you know, to, to overcome these barriers in other aspects of your life? What ways might you want to solve this? Uh, because what we're doing very often is we're saying, here's this problem. We know how to solve it. Now you tell us if we, if we did it right or not. Mm -hmm. But if we talk with people with disabilities and work with people with disabilities as co-designers up front, we're saying like, we actually value your ideas too. And, and we want to know uh, how, how might you want us to solve this problem? Um, and so for me, that's like much more powerful because we're not just saying your only value is at the end of the process. We want you to feel valued throughout the entire process. Right. And so coming back to the Accessible Canada Act and thinking about that way that we approach web projects often is we're talking with people with disabilities before we actually design the legislation and the regulations that go with them. Mm -hmm because we want that perspective to be built in and baked in from the beginning, rather than just, here's what we want the legislation to do. Now, how do we make that happen and make it, make it so that it achieves accessibility? We're actually you know, consulting with and working directly with people with disabilities from the get-go. And that to me is like a fundamentally different way of approaching, um, you know, approaching things. Um, that that really screams inclusion.
Right. So that's kind of why I'm, I'm like loving, at, at least on paper from what I've read, <laughs> I'm loving the way that it's gone. I don't know the practical execution mm -hmm. of it and how that's all going to play out. Yeah. But on, on paper, it sounds like it started with a reasonably inclusive process. Well, Robin, yeah, I think, oops, sorry, Ryan. no, I was just going to say, Rob and I have talked quite frequently about, you know, the Accessible Canada Act and, you know, how we have the ADA to, you know, look back at as an example of, of some things maybe not to do. And, you know, being yeah. able to roll this act out in a, a much more efficient manner. So, yeah, time will tell, but hopefully things go smoothly and it's going to be a work in, in process as well. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I think that, you know, I, I would feel very much the same. I think on paper, uh, it looks great. Um, you know, I was really heartened to see that uh, that they went back and sort of tweaked the act um, after they got uh, a lot of input from the from the public and from a lot of advocates. I thought that was great. Um, you know, it showed that they were listening. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, and you know, God, it, it, about time, like, it, uh, you know, it's about time we have, we have a federal act, right? Um, way, way, way overdue. Yeah. So, you know, I think that that's, that's all great. Um, you know, it's just that I, I, I'm with Ryan. I like, I really hope that they take a look at some of the mistakes that have been made in the past with some, say, provincial mm -hmm. um, legislation um, or even, you know, across the border um, and see, you know, what, what mistakes have been made, you know, say, with, you know, in, in the United States, um, you know, as they go forward to try to make it as seamless and, and painless as possible and try to get us ahead of the curve because, you know, it's 2019. It's, a, it's about time that we had uh, legislation like that. So, you know, I, and I'm the optimist of, of the show as well. Ryan's, Ryan's so, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful. Um, I'm not looking. There's a lot, there's a lot of pieces that need to fall into place and yeah. there's a lot of things that, that are going to need to be, to be shaken out. So, you know, that, that kind of stuff doesn't happen in a year. Mm -hmm. No, there's, there's a, I, and I don't know what the, what the path is to get there, but but yeah, there's there's a lot of work that needs to be done, and I know, you know, when they're when they're building these regulations and and trying to to figure out what needs to go in there, I think one of the things that I've always seen is the the the, the I, I don't even like this part of it, but the enforcement part of it has to be real. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, and that's not my favorite piece at all. Like I, I'm I'm the last person. Like when we talk about when I'm doing workshops or whatever, people will ask me questions about the legal side of it or the statistics side of it. And those are like my least favorite topics. I, I'll still yeah. talk about them, but they're, mm -hmm. they're not the reason that I, you know, that I, I kind of am, am in the field or, or want to be trying to affect change. But, but yeah, it's like the regulation side of it is going to be really critical. And if there is no enforcement, it's completely toothless and yeah. it won't work. Yeah. Well, sure. And, you know, and, you know, even to even push that point forward, um, the standards have to be in place and they have to be very clear. So, you know, you have to be able to tell companies, look, you need to do this. And this is how you, you know, bring your say website into being accessible and you have to give them that you can't just say, well, you know, your website needs to be accessible and expect them to know, what that means or what the what the standards are or what check boxes need to be checked in order to to have so you have to give them something as well and i think that that's kind of the frustration that 
that can happen. I mean, look how long the ADA has been in existence. And we did a story not three weeks ago about um, a guy in the States that was suing Domino's um, mm, because their, yes. their website and their app wasn't accessible. And, you know, it's it's looking to, to head to the Supreme Court in the fall. Um, you know, Beyonce is getting sued because her website yeah. you know, apparently isn't accessible. So there's still these, these, this web accessibility fights going on down in the States, even though they've had the ADA for so long. So, you know, I think that there's, there's definitely points on both sides that, that needs to be worked out. I mean, the standards have to be clear in order for the enforcement to really work as well, because otherwise you're just going to get mired in the courts and it's it's just going to go nowhere. Are you uh, are you both familiar with the Air Carrier Access Act in the for the United States Department of Transportation? I don't think so. I don't think so. We may have talked about that. That sounds vaguely familiar, but we we talk about so much crap here. We then <laughs> and our brains are so small that you know it is, things just fall out of them. But well, you no, got, you got to let those things fall out to make room for new stuff, right? So the the my favorite piece of the Air Carrier Access Act is like like they basically say here's the standard, right? There's there's two parts to it, and I'm I'm totally it's it's a little bit more complex than this but i'm kind of breaking it down as to its it's like most base level it's like there's a technical standard that you have to meet but then there's also a process standard that you have to meet and it's not like called a process standard but it basically says yes you have to make things technically accessible by by the um by the web content accessibility guidelines that's like the technical standard that you have to follow but the other thing that they said, and this is my favorite part, is that they said, uh, and you have to consult with and do usability studies with people with disabilities along the way. Hmm. Yeah. And so they they built in not just the technical standard, but they they said like at a minimum, here's what your what your process should kind of look like, at least to to some extent. Right. And so what I hope happens if if there was like one wish. Um, one wish for the Accessible Canada Act, and I don't know to what, you know, how detailed they're going to get in the regulations and the standards, but if I had one wish, it would be for them to take a look at all the things that are expected out of, like, when somebody gets, uh, when there's a settlement or a judgment against somebody from an accessibility perspective down in the U.S., there's almost every single time there's, like, specific things that they need to do that they have to commit to to making sure that things stay accessible moving forward. And so what I would would what I would choose, or if it was me doing it, I would say, let's look at all those things that people get told that they have to put in place and make some of those things that we say are like part of the standards and the regulations. So the, the technical standard is the web content accessibility guidelines, for example. And then the process standard might be something that that is like, it includes this, 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 and this, that you need to do usability testing and, and consultation with people with disabilities along the way, mm-hmm. that you need to make sure that you do uh, this thing every year, uh, that you need to make sure that uh, you know, you've got uh, a really good training resource available for employees or whatever. And, and kind of follow some of the, the things that we have done. And I, I know we have that in Ontario, uh, certainly with the um, Accessibility for Ontarians with Disabilities Act. We've got right. some of those things in there. 
but but putting that in place at a at a federal level might be really really useful. Um, I know some people don't like to be told how to how to do things, but sometimes you need to tell people how to do things. Well, absolutely, and you know, and we've we've heard that frustration from from companies that you know when when you don't give them enough information, when you don't actually tell them how to do it or what checkboxes they need to check, you know, they they do they throw up their hands and they're like, well, we don't we don't know we don't know how to do this. We're not accessibility experts. Um, so you know, it it really does fall. I, I feel like on both sides there's got to be you know a sort of a corporate willingness but there's also really got to be a well thought out um, accessibility standards in place for them to work with in order for it to all work well together um, because I think that we we see that you know when it doesn't work well together what happens and you know you get you get 25 years in and you're still having lawsuits happening so uh, hopefully that's something that we can avoid up here I certainly hope so I certainly hope so. I think they're in the process of putting that standards board together right now. So it'd be interesting to look back or look forward um, a couple months and see where that's at. Indeed it would. Yep. Yep. So, and what is, sorry, what's what, Ryan, do you remember what year are we, what year are we supposed to be completely accessible? 20, is it 2050? I don't recall. I think it was 2050. Yeah. I thought it was something 2040, but I could be completely wrong. Well, we'll be underwater by then anyway. So let's say 2025. <laughs> Sooner the well, better. We had we had like a 20 year yeah. 20 year uh, ramp for AODA. That's right. So you, it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me if it was you know close to that or longer. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. It's definitely longer, and I, and I know and I. You know, we, we, we do hear through the grapevine that you guys are kind of a little bit behind on on hitting that mark. I don't think you're going to hit 2025 uh, to be completely accessible. I think there's you, you, you guys ran into a few hiccups. Don't insult our guest. Uh, Come on. I'm not listening. <laughs> and, and, you know, hey, I don't take it personally. Like, it's not me. Like, I didn't. I'm not having trouble hitting that. It's like bigger, bigger picture. I am not Ontario. Yeah. I'm, like, that's my new slogan, I think. I am not. <laughs> you know, Ontario, it, again, you know, it was very, it's, it was in very important legislation. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it, it hit some, it hit some roadblocks. Uh, there, you know, some of the uh, people who came in kind of dropped the ball on it. Um, these are all things that I feel like the ACA needs to learn from, uh, you know, in order to really have it all made been worthwhile. Yeah. And, you know, and I think that that's, you know, that's what I, my biggest hope is just, you know, don't be afraid to learn the lessons uh, from the mistakes that other legislation has made. Don't we'll, just try to forge ahead and do your own thing. Then we'll get there. Well, I hope so. Maybe if they listen to the show, they they might they might take. <laughs> well, we have an act being implemented, so we're we're better off than we were two years ago. Well, that's true. Listen, absolutely. Sure. Yeah. Let's talk about a little bit about uh, level access and what you guys do there. Yeah, and, and and so there's there's a lot of different aspects to it. Um, and I I I come from a background where, uh, you know, I've. I created my own company and then we, we came together with level access in February of, of 2018. And, and so 
that's been like a, a huge, huge change because I worked for myself for almost 20 years and now I'm part of something much bigger. Uh, you know, we're, we're like 215 people now, I think, wow. um, which is, you know, in our, our biggest, we were like 15 with 15 contractors and that allowed us to, to flex up and down. But this is, it's way, you know, I now work at a much larger organization, which is, you know, which is really cool and, and really different. So, um, lots of, lots of fun stuff going on there. And we ultimately help people get to the point where they are, are making things accessible in a hopefully sustainable way. So, you know, we are, a lot of our core work is, is in two sides is the, the services side and then the software side. So we build, we build software that helps people manage, uh, accessibility. So our, our, Flagship product is called AMP, which stands for the Accessibility Management Platform. Right. Um, that helps people, you know, do automated testing, but also track, you know, track trends over time in terms of how well people are meeting meeting accessibility requirements or not meeting accessibility requirements. And then we also have a services side too, where we do lots of, uh, as you can imagine, uh, lots of lots of different consulting and and helping organizations. Um, figure out what they need to do to make sure that they're the things that they're creating are, are meeting the mark for accessibility. Uh, so that's, that's kind of the, the short version um, of, of what we do. A, a lot of uh, software as a service and then also services that go with that and support that. Do you guys do training at all? Yeah, we do. We do a lot of training. Uh, I think our the amount of training that we have have done has uh, probably doubled over the last year. Yeah, um, I, I think a lot of people see it as a really smart investment in in sustainability and and doing things on their own in the future. Uh, so we're, I, we we're not slowing down on the training side of things. Like it's it's pretty constant demand for uh, for for workshops and seminars and that kind of thing. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I was going to ask, um, you know, I have the last two to three years really seen a, a real bump in in demand because of, say, things like the ACA and because, you know, again, more and more businesses are getting a, you know, a, are being convinced of the business case um, for accessibility. So you've really seen that? Like you've really seen Oh, it? yeah. Yeah, th th we've seen a lot of it just you know, an uptick in interest, um, an uptick in the number of, you know, number of workshops or, or trainings that we, that we deliver. Um, we, we hear it quite a bit too, like people saying like, you know, we haven't, they haven't necessarily faced legal action yet, but they know that other people are, and they, they know that they need to start doing something about it. And so we've, yeah, we've definitely seen it. I, I think it's been about twice as much as, you know, this year compared to, compared to last year. And I would expect that it's going to keep, keep growing um, as people realize too. And I think what, what happens in a lot of cases, people come to us and they want us to do a little project for them, right? They're like, okay, let's make this thing accessible and they need some help with it. And then they realize like we kind of went, went down this pathway before, but a lot of people often come in like we need to make this accessible we've got six months to do it how does that look and then they realize afterwards that you know this 
this can't just be uh, a one-time thing. It's got to be an all-the-time thing. And the best way to do that is to is to change the the knowledge and skills that you have in the organization. So it, it's I, I think it's just going to keep growing. Uh, I think it's it, it's just not going away. And so that that need for training is always going to be there. Well, yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, and the fact that, you know, the digital space is constantly growing. I mean, it's, you know, we were talking about over the past 10 years, the amount of things that, you know, that, that need to be accessible is just, you know, exploding, you know, between apps, um, you know, again, smart, you know, the advent of smartphones, you know, changed the game, you know, in the digital space completely. And, you know, it's just going nowhere but up. So, yeah, absolutely. It's it, and we keep inventing new technology too, right? Like sure. things that just didn't exist before. And and the only way to make that stuff accessible is if you don't just know things by rote, but that you understand principles and concepts, right? That it goes much beyond just uh, you know needing to get a little bit of knowledge. It, it's like there's actually some ways of thinking and mindset that is really important to understand how to apply accessibility to new areas. Like right now, we don't have any specific. I know uh, you've had uh, one of my coworkers, John Avila, yep. on the on the podcast before, and he does a lot in kind of this the AR and VR um, kind of emerging technology. Yeah. And, and understanding what it means to be accessible in, in, in kind of those environments. And, and that's not a thing where like new technology comes out. We need to spend some time figuring out what does it mean to be accessible in those areas? Yeah. Like we're not going to have good standards for that for, I don't know, like I, I'm going to make up a number and maybe you talked with John about this or, or maybe you didn't, but let's say we don't have a good, well-known standard for that for another five years or six years. Well, what are we supposed to do in the meantime? Just not being accessible? Like, like, <laughs> yeah. like we're not going to do that, right? So you, you have to apply the things, the things that you already know about accessibility to these new areas while you're kind of waiting for that guidance to, to come out to the point where we actually have a standard. So that's kind of, I mean, that's, that's what this is what this is all about so having somebody work with you i guess how i got onto this was the training side of things yeah if if you are learning one of the most important things to learn is not just a whole bunch of knowledge and and checkpoints and content that you need to know you need to know how to think about accessibility and uh you know, all the, the, the kind of the related concepts that go with it, like fundamentally, what is this app providing and how does that impact people with all kinds of different disabilities and, and how do we solve some of those problems? Like we got to get creative and that's kind of, that's one of the things I love the most about this field is that we're always innovating in the tech space, which means that in theory, we should always be innovating yeah. within the accessibility side of things as well. Well, it's interesting, you know, because you know, we talk a lot about the tech space, the web and apps and, and so on. And we've had people on talking about, you know, build environments and public spaces. But I saw an article just, I think, last week on, you know, electric vehicles and how many of them, if not all of them, are silent. So a blind person approaching an intersection, if there's an electric car sitting there, 
they don't know it's there. They go to step out, the car goes, they have no idea the car's even there. So they're now talking about, you know, putting some sort of sound emitter on these vehicles so that people who are blind know that there's an electric car sitting there. You know, accessibility from, from the beginning, right, needs to be thought about. And, and, and it really needs somebody that understands the entire, yeah. the entire customer journey and not just customer journey, but like what's the impact of, of other people in the environment too, not just the customer of that electric vehicle, but, yeah. but, yeah. but everything in that whole ecosystem. I mean, that's, that's awesome. I mean, that, that I love, I love it when people understand that and need to understand that they need to think that way in order for this to work really well. Yeah. Yeah. And that's really, I think at the end of the day, I mean, that's what needs to happen. Um, you know, if I had one wish, you know, that that's what it would be is that if we could just shift the attitude of developers and of businesses to the idea of inclusive design in the sense that accessibility is thought about at at the ground level, as opposed to, hey, bringing you a finished app and going, okay, well, how do we make this accessible now? Yeah, I mean, because that must be frustrating for you. You must be like, look, you know, it had you guys thought of this at the beginning and brought us on at the beginning, this would have been way easier and to cheaper. Try to, try to <laughs> yeah, and cheaper in the long run than you to bring us a finished app, and then now we have to go to sort of re, re you know, go back and retool it to make it accessible. Like that's the mindset. It's just like do it at the beginning, bake it in. It's going to, it's going to make it more intuitive. It's going to make it more natural. And it's probably going to make the whole damn thing better, you know, at that stage. I know I'm preaching to the choir. Nailed it. Like you nailed it. That's, that's exactly it. Right. That's exactly it. Well, listen, Hey, it, it has been an absolute delight talking to you. Um, thanks so much for coming on. Will you come back and, and talk to us again? Cause I feel like we could just talk for another three hours. I mean, you name the time I will, I will be there. I think what we should do, Rob, is we should get Kelly Goto on as well. We'll get Kelly Goto, Derek and the four of us and just banter about accessibility. That'll be an all-star, all-star show. <laughs> well, Derek, you came very highly rated from Kelly and, and that's the reason for reaching out to you. Um, and I'm so glad you were able to accommodate us. I really appreciate your time. Yeah, uh, honestly, thank you. It's a, it's an honor, and Kelly is a, a wonderful person, and I'm so delighted to hear that she that she recommended me. I I can't can't thank her enough. I would love for us to to all get together and have a chat sometime. Um, really appreciate your time, both. Yeah, it'll be it'll be like our version of the four tenors. <laughs> <laughs> that scares me. I might actually be out now. <laughs> All right, Derek. Well, listen, have a great rest of your day, and uh, we'll uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you both. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. Bye. Wow. We really literally could have talked for another three hours, I think. Yeah, easily. There's there's so much to talk about when you talk about accessibility, right? Whether it's public spaces, to, oh, yeah, the, we did. Yeah, the we webs and apps. Did. Yeah, like there's just, it's such a broad topic. Yeah, and it was interesting to hear his take on the ACA. We should really be asking more people about that because uh, I am really curious about, yeah, just about how it's how it's really going to all shake out and and how how it's impacting um, businesses and in, in, in the corporate world out there. So you know, and it's good to hear that you know at Level Access that they're they've had a bump in business because that means they're they're being contacted by a lot more companies 
that are concerned about accessibility. So that's good to see. Yeah, and Derek's Canadian as well, so that's why I wanted to throw that question at him to see if he's you know been involved in that process. Uh, yeah. So I don't know. According to my you know my optimistic outlook, I think I think we're on a we're on a good track. So. But we're heading into a long weekend, so. Yeah, that's it for August, eh? It, that's it. Yeah, it's a done deal. Yeah, winter's coming. Yep. Hey, speaking of done deals, hey Ryan. Rob. Uh, where can people find us? They can find us online at atbanter.com. They can also drop us an email if they so desire, uh, cowbell at atbanter.com. I'm still going to leave that pause in there because I, <laughs> Steve will be back soon and we're going to have our cow, the return of our cowbell, damn it. Maybe. No, we will. I might sell it. Don't, <laughs> don't sell it. <laughs> sell a guitar before you sell the cowbell. Uh, I might, maybe. <laughs> uh, we'll see. A, uh, what else? So people can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I left you an opening there. I don't know. I don't know why. I don't think I'm not to, sure. There's nowhere else they can find us. There's nowhere else to go. <laughs> <laughs> except, except taking a bus to the guitar dungeon and knocking on your door. That's right. And don't do that. No, don't, don't do, that. do that. He is a vicious attack dog. So <sighs> I would right. not recommend it. All right, everybody. That's going to about do it for us this week. Thanks for listening in. A big thanks to Derek Featherston. And uh, we'll see everybody next week. This podcast has been brought to you by Canadian Assistive Technology, providing low vision and blindness solutions across Canada. Find us online at www.canastech.com. That's C-A-N-A-S-S-T-E-C-H dot com. Or call us toll free at 1-844-795-8324. For all your assistive technology servicing needs, call Chaos Technical Services at 778-847-6840 or find them online at chaostechnicalservices.com. Whoa, look at that. Master of the one take.